I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I know you guys are big fans of Orange Juice, right? Scottish band. Yes. How did you come upon them all the way in Canada? Are they kind of big over there? Did it carry across the pond? Or uh, I've I've been into that band since I was a teenager um, in Virginia. I don't actually remember how I first came across them. I think it was probably like going through all music uh, recommendations uh, that eventually led me there. That that would be my guess. Because, yeah, like, I mean, as a teenager, I was really into, like, Interpol, who I think were, like, a gateway to a lot of that kind of stuff. Because they, well, yeah, because they were, they was, like, I think it was probably, like, a thing of, like, Interpol to Joseph K to Orange Juice. I think that's probably how I found them. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, they're one of my favorite bands. I definitely, like, like, Intuition told me so, I think, was, like, I remember, I remember the first time I heard that song when I was about, like, 16 and just being, like, oh, wow, like, this is... This is exactly what I was looking for, you know? You moved, did you move around quite a lot growing up? Uh, I did, yeah. I was, I was um, born in the UK and then um, my family moved uh, to uh, Paris for a little bit and Geneva for a little bit in Switzerland and then to the US when I was about 11 or 12. Um, so I lived in the US and then I moved to Canada after that. How old are you when you moved to Canada? Uh, I moved to Canada when I was 18. I went to the University of Toronto. Oh, okay. So you moved to Canada for university? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you kind of feel settled now or do you still struggle to feel settled a little bit with moving around so much growing up? Uh, I mean, relatively. I think Toronto is definitely home. It's the longest I've ever uh, lived anywhere uh, at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird. It definitely... I, like me and Evan have actually talked about this a bit that it's like I kind of don't I don't totally identify with homesickness because I don't feel it about anywhere one particular place. So it's like a thing that I I find it kind of like interesting. I, I think I like living vicariously through other people's homesickness sometimes because I don't I'm I'm I uh, I like do not have that connection to place, but I, I kind of like it. I wish I did. I think I think homesickness can kind of be. In a lot of people's cases, a little bit more about missing people than missing that specific place. It's just the people are associated with it. True. Yeah. True enough. I think yeah. So. 
What about you, Emma? Did you kind of grow up in the same place all along or did you move around a little bit too? Yeah, no, I, I grew up in Australia and then when I was 18, moved to Canada, initially to Banff, which was on the other side of the country in the Rocky Mountains. Um, and then met a bunch of people there who convinced me to go to Toronto and then have been there ever since. Wow. You say Banff? Yeah, uh, Banff. Is that anywhere near Nova Scotia? No, other side. Yeah. Okay. No, because I'm in Scotland and we've got a Banff about 20 miles away from where I am. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I was curious if it was maybe part of Nova Scotia, but not quite. What is, well, that's interesting that you both moved to Canada at 18. What is moving to a completely different place kind of teach you about your own perceptions and the kind of way you view your world when you put yourself in a completely new surrounding? Uh, I found it liberating, I think. It was like you didn't know anyone, no one knew you. Uh, You could kind of create your own identity a little bit, which was really fun. And for me, just being on the complete other side of the world was really exciting. And, you know, it was so close to the States, so New York's not too far, and Detroit and Chicago. So just getting exposed to all these cultural things that I hadn't had growing up was super exciting. Yeah, I think for me it was it was it was less obviously less distinct because it was somewhat similar to like where I'd grown up. Like it was you know like like Canada is not culturally is not all that different from the U.S. Though is like there's some significant ways in which it very much is, but like everyone kind of speaks you know with the same accent and most people know the same TV shows and stuff. Um, so it was like a more kind of like subtle change for me. But I think it was it was partly. I mean, I think it was the kind of adjustment to living on your own and being an adult. Like, that was more of a stark change for me than than maybe the place. Just because it kind of forced you to grow up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just like sort of suddenly, yeah, being being untethered from, you know, family and, and home and stuff and, and kind of making, figuring out how to, to be a person in the world, which took a while. you uh you mentioned something really interesting there too evan that when you first moved to canada it was liberating because you felt like you could reinvent your identity a little bit yeah how how did you change it when you moved there from who you were in australia well i think you know being a little bit artistically inclined and coming from australia which is an extremely masculine culture and i had grown up kind of in a working class town where it was like you know, you kind of expected to get an apprenticeship and just become some kind of tradesperson, you know. And there's a thing in Australia that people talk about a lot called tall poppy syndrome, where if anyone is kind of expressing themselves and doing well at it, people try to bring them down. So I think when I was young, you know, I was a bit prone to that kind of stuff. And then I was in Canada and, you know, I, f- I found the people a little more open and I was lucky enough to live in the city. I think maybe if I had moved to Melbourne from where I was from, I would have experienced very similar things. But just being in a major city, it was just huge, you know, and there's, you met people who were musicians and artists and, you know, they just had jobs on the side and they didn't define themselves by those being there. That's who they are. So it was like really nice, you know, and then, yeah, people were interested in me and yeah, people, you know, I had, were interested in my music taste, which was super interesting because, you know, initially I didn't realize that that was such a big part of my identity. And yeah, I don't know. It was just really fun in that regard. It's interesting to think about what you've just said in the context of the new EP because it opens on the song Get Bleak which seems to be about this idea of moving somewhere in a bid to escape your current situation and maybe slightly unsuccessfully but it sounds like you managed to do it successfully. It worked moving halfway across the world. It was a really positive thing for you. Yeah, I think so but I think in relation to that I think it was more the move from small town to big city rather than like 
city to city or something, which I feel like that song is more about. Like, I feel Tom and I have had multiple friends who maybe flee cities to try and solve their problems and then realize when they get to the other side of the world that the problems are still there. That's, yeah, that's one, that's one, like, I think that, I think that one is, it's, a, it's like definitely a, a general thing, but also a, a specific, I think in some ways an ex- experience that was a bit specific to Toronto. I think Toronto is kind of a city that tends to have like a chip on its shoulder a little bit. And I think maybe me and Evan, certainly from my experience of it, it's like having, having moved there, I, I feel like I kind of, I see it with maybe a different perspective than a lot of people who grew up there. And I see it in a more positive light. I think there's a tendency like, I don't know, to me, it, it's it's always felt like a really uh, a great place to live for a bunch of reasons. And I think people there, there tends to be a, a, a sort of like belief that, you know, uh, it's cool here, but, you know, it's 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 not New York. It's not London. It's not L.A. And I feel like there's a kind of a, a, that ends up resulting in this sort of grass is always greener ism is kind of, I think, a, a big part of what that song is about. This sort of just like. This idea that, like, yeah, that that all of your frustrations are 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 can be laid at the feet of the place where you live. I think maybe kind of with me and Evan sort of moving and finding like uh, our our place in in Toronto is was that it was like we like we like it worked because we like kind of grew up there or grew into it. But it's like the first you know couple of years in a new place I think are always always really tough, and it's not a, a quick fix solution ever really and that yeah that's kind of i think more what that what that song is about do you feel it takes a couple of years to kind of get to know what places for you as well well i think that's the thing it's like it's like moving is really hard um like it's it's like you go to a place and you don't uh and you're no longer around the people that you know and care about and you gotta figure that out and i think like you know there's a kind of a, a pattern at least that i have felt and like you know talk to other people about where you know you when you first move somewhere, you end up kind of falling in with whoever's around and it takes you a while to realize that maybe they're not your people. And it's like, it's a, and it takes you a while to find your footing in a bunch of different ways. And, and like, that's, you know, it's a really, it's a really hard thing to do to be un, unmoored in that way. Uh, and I think maybe having had that experience, I like, I, I bristle a little bit at the, at the magical thinking uh, element of moving sometimes or the way that people, I don't know, the way that I think it gets talked about. There's a, there was a line in this one that really stuck out to me as well, where you say you'll spend the afternoon deleting every number in your phone, then you'll spend the evening wondering why you'll spend the night alone. Is that something that was very much, what side of that experience were you on, this idea of kind of wiping the slate clean when you moved to a new city? Was that something you did or was it something you experienced with a friend? It's kind of a composite. I mean, it's, it's a sort of like, I think it's a kind of like self-defeating, yeah, like a, a, like a kind of a self-defeating behavior that I'm like maybe describing there and like, yeah, that kind of push and pull that I was talking about of like because falling in with people because they're, they're near to you and not necessarily realizing and the, and the consequences, I guess, of, of that process of like trying to find your people in a new place. And I think then like the other side of it is like sort of, you know, the, the, the action of doing it itself, like, you know, by, by going, by, by making a dramatic move like this, you're, you're, you're pulling yourself uh away from from those people that you care about and that that is you're you're creating a loneliness like almost intentionally there um that i think is uh is kind of what i was getting at can moving ever feel destructive in that way then i mean i think it is i think that's sort of like it it, part of it it is it's a it's complicated but i think the thing that like 
Evan was was talking about about that that reinvention. It's sort of like you're like if you're if you're constructing a new identity in that way, you're 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 doing it at, at the expense of another one, at least to some extent. Can you get that like that maybe when you move to a new place and that idea of solving things and that desire for reinvention? Is that something you can get from your music instead? That I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, if if, if if anyone gets that out of our music, that would be uh, that would be a a, a a deep honor. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's an interesting question, but one that I I'm not sure I've, I I feel qualified to answer. Do you? I mean, maybe looking at it from a slightly different angle. Do you feel like you ever have fully reinvented yourself within your music, or is it just kind of when you compartmentalize it in your mind? Is it just like a very natural, gradual progression? I mean, I, I feel like just talking of maybe the experience of this band, I feel like it's been a slow process of sort of like we we kind of knew where we were trying to get to. But finding out how to sound like we sound was a really slow process of sort of like chipping away and and putting in the time and, and filing down the edges and, and sort of like slowly finding the place where I think it felt like it sounded like us, which is the thing that Evan well, like says a lot of like of like when like identifying when something sounds like us and when something that we've done doesn't sound like us, um, which I think is a <laughs> is is a is a is like a a good a thing that Evan is really good at, um, and that uh, that like yeah helps helps to define it. But Evan, you, you would would you agree with that that it's kind of like it's been a, it's like been a very gradual sort of like sculptural process sort of yeah i think so and i think we we figure out little rules or something along the way that we're like oh that gets us that sound that we like like i don't know we get obsessive over things like okay all the acoustic guitars should just be downstroked like we learned that and we're like oh that sounds great you know it gives the songs more energy and it like sounds like what we think we sound like so we like slowly learn that and then we can apply that to all the other songs yeah and i really think in the last couple of years we got to the point where you and i are on the same page where we we know, you know, and we have like a nice uh, democratic process where if we like both don't agree on a part, we, you know, the other one throws away the ego and just throws away the part. And we always know that we're serving the song if we both think that the part is good. Yeah, I feel like you've done that thing to me too, where, where like you'll like sometimes object to something just to see how hard I push back. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it's like, if I, if I push back hard, that means we should keep it. But if I don't, then it's like, I, then it clearly like we needed to, it needed to go. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you know he's testing you in that moment, Tom? No, he's good at tricking me. I never, I, I, I never pick up on it <laughs> until after. And, and then I realized through that process that I, that whether or not it mattered. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the decisions, like with the way you present the band to people itself, is that something you have similar discussions about? Like, for instance, the fact that as big as All Outside was the new first single through the new label, was that something you spoke about quite a lot and it was a push and pull or? I feel like on those pages, I trust your lead a little more, but we're usually not too dissimilar on stuff like that. It's more like the creation of the song is where the push pull is. And then we're both, oh, sometimes we can differ, but we're both usually like, okay, that one's really good. Or, you know, we should go with that one first. I usually follow your lead on that stuff, I feel. Yeah, I, 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 like, I, mean, I think that one, the label had some input too. But it's like, yeah, I think like we normally, like, I think that's like, we are aligned enough in kind of what we're trying to do that like 90% of the time we both know when something's worked or when it hasn't worked. So we kind of like the same stuff. Yeah. I think that's, that's normally the case. There's a, there's a couple instances where we were further apart, but it's never by much. No. Why, why was that the first um, 
song you decided to bring out on Car Park out of interest? I think it was just one that we felt worked well. Um, I'm trying to think if there was a, a deeper rationale behind it. But I think it was just a song that we'd been doing for a bit. And I mean, it, that one, like a lot of our stuff went through like a, many, many, many iterations um, where we just kind of like did it one way and then realized something was wrong with it and then left it for a bit and came back to it and slowly, slowly, slowly sort of chipped away at it until it made sense to the point that I think it, it was gradually driving us both out of our minds. Um, but, but, but it eventually got to a point where it was, it was pretty good. And I think it was just one th- from that set of songs that kind of we felt confident about and everyone at the labels also felt confident about. So we, we kind of trusted th- their, their read on it. It explores, I know you've spoken about how it explores this idea of living with decline. What exactly do you mean when you say decline in that context? Uh, I think, I think this, it kind of exists on a few levels maybe for me, but I mean, a big, a big part of, of it is I think that just like, you know, this is, I mean, that song was written uh, well before COVID, but I think it's, it's not for most of my adult life and certainly the last few years, I think it's been really easy or it's been pretty obvious if you're if you're paying attention that like things have not been going great um in the wider world um just a little bit i think this yeah you know there's been a sort of like a, a breakdown of sort of like you know political orders that seemed like they made sense or made some kind of sense uh you know these like civic institutions a, a consolidation of of power in sort of like every area of 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 life, of public life, I think, and 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 of of the economy and in, into the hands of of people who are not uh, necessarily responsible parties. It, like it it it's. I know that this is a thing that like you know everyone in every generation. There's there's people trying to say that the world is ending, but I think it, it's like the world is has felt very bleak, and and I think like that is sort of what the context I'm talking about there. That it's like it's it's not. There's a sort of pervasive sense of dread that has a tendency to hang over everything uh or or at least i can let it hang over everything sometimes and i think that's that's kind of what i'm what i mean there do you think the wall is ending then or do you just feel like it's maybe getting a little bit more depressing yeah i don't think the i mean i I mean i guess like in a broader sense probably eventually but i i'm not i don't um i don't i don't no that's not i'm not sort of like like predicting an imminent apocalypse at all I i just think it's sort of like it's it's felt like that 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 things have been getting worse consistently and I think over the last few years, especially, it's sort of just like, you know, the news feels like it's darker every day, a lot of the time. And I think like finding a way to live with that reality is a complicated thing and something that I kind of think about a lot, like trying to trying to figure out how not to be totally miserable and navel gazing in that context and just see beyond it and past it and to see what's possible out, outside of those things rather than just sort of give into it. What sort of tools have you developed to do that? I mean, I think that's like the thing that's kind of in the song. It's just like that there are that there are, you know, all of these all of these bright spots and all of these positive things um, that can pull you out of that of that state of thinking. And like, yeah, as 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 dark as it gets, sometimes there are also, I guess, like positives to accentuate and like reasons to hope, I guess that feels that feels important. Do you think that kind of mindset we're talking about there, maybe when things do get a little bit depressing is that what would lead to a story like anadonia 
when you may be feeling a little bit bitter about certain things? Is that a result of those kind of bigger clouds hanging over you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's that it's that kind of like cycle of thought for sure. Um, and the way that it can kind of close out your like narrow your vision, I guess, you know, when when those things kind of feel so big, it's hard to look away from. Them. Do you have um, conversations about these types of things together, Evan? Kind of talking about the subject matter of the song in this way and how it affects you on a on a personal level. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, yeah, I think from time to time, Tom will explain to me what the songs are about. Yeah, usually t- the lyrics are first with this band. It's Tom will come having written those, and those lyrics and melodies are usually the most important part. And then we kind of build the world around them. So it usually sets the tone for you know serving the song after that which is really great you know other bands i've been in in the past have maybe done production first and then kind of tried to insert a melody and some lyrics in later so it's really refreshing kind of having them and then hearing what tom has to say in the song and then going okay you know this one has maybe a brighter tone or you know this one's a bit darker or something and yeah serving that works really well so would you write anything before you know what the song's about? In, I mean, normally the, our process kind of works where I write like, I write like a, a skeleton of a song, which will be like in some cases, like the way it's kind of like written and structures, structured is basically how it ends up. And in some cases it gets like totally changed, but there'll be kind of like a verse and a chorus that sticks around. But it's like, I tend to, yeah, I tend to kind of come with like a basic framework and then Evan kind of like wrestles it into a shape that makes more sense and like helps like helps to develop it structurally. And we kind of go backwards and forwards on, on building the arrangements around that and putting leads together. And um, I think over time, it's become a thing where I've gotten better at anticipating what Evan will want or what Evan will want to do. So I kind of try and come with like a little bit of, with like some more raw materials and write a little bit more into the spaces that I know he's going to want to work like often having sort of like maybe like an instrumental like section or, or a riff section or an introduction or something that like that's kind of space that exists or like having, having written like kind of at least like three distinct progressions rather than maybe when I used to just have like one or two. Um, so that, so that we have kind of more, more parts and ideas to work with as we kind of like figure out how the structure will be. So you would, when you bring it together, how, when you're saying you're kind of structure, is that you'll just kind of trim things down, elongate some bits or how exactly, what exactly do you mean by when you, you take it into that space and you kind of change the arrangement up a little bit? Yeah, I guess it depends. Like it's usually just, yeah, Tom and a guitar is the initial feeling of the song and he'll play it. And then sometimes just instinctively I'll go, oh, it'd be great. You know, if after that chorus, it goes into something else or I can, you know, hear a melody here that we should have as an intro. And sometimes it's just, you know, a reaction to the song we did previous as well, where we go, oh, we've done, you know, that a little bit or, you know, the, yeah, there's an example, we were listening to a Sneaky Feelings song called Husband House and we realized it had a riff throughout the whole thing that never changed. And we're like, oh, we should write a song that has a riff that plays throughout the whole song. So sometimes it's little things like that that we're reacting, trying not to just write the same song again or do the same tricks over and over. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, strengthening things, making them longer or sometimes, yeah, it's like, oh, you know, let's cut out this little bit here. Or sometimes, yeah, Tom will play the song and, you know, hold a chord for a little bit longer and then we'll go, oh, that's actually really interesting. It's not like 
conventionally what I would have done, but let's like keep that and play off that, which is also really fun. Yeah, I feel like that's that's one that we do sometimes where we'll like we'll hear something and be like, oh, like we should we should try and incorporate that idea. And then like invariably, like it doesn't quite work. But we end up like with a new thing based on the like, I don't know, section of a bat song we tried to rip off or something or it, like it never really quite ends up sounding like the thing we were trying to do. But it often will be its own interesting, like kind of spanner that gets thrown in the works and changes our process a little bit. You know, when you're writing in that space, do you surprise each other or surprise yourself more? I feel like we do them so quick now that I think we surprise ourselves a lot because we try not to listen to them over and over and then you you separate yourself from it and then kind of wake up the next day and listen to it. And it is really surprising. I feel like I'm surprised a lot. It's like what I think it is in my head is usually not what it is when I listen with a clean frame of mind the next day. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I feel like that's like, that's the thing that's like kind of, we've gotten like better at understanding that and we don't get like bogged down in the same way that we maybe did when we started where it's like, we'll let our ideas kind of go and see where we end up. And like, try to be try to be somewhat critical of it, but also like, don't get we don't get frustrated as much. We'll just be like, yeah, let's see what we think about it tomorrow, and then we'll normally have a better perspective on it. And often those are like kind of pleasant surprises. Did you used to get you're saying that you don't get frustrated quite as much? Was that something that maybe happened more so when the band started? Or yeah, I think we initially didn't 100 percent know what the sound of the band was or how to achieve it. You know, like I would hear records that I love and obsess over. How'd they get that sound? You know. And then try and make our band sound like in that world. And that was just an interesting learning process. And that took a lot of time, you know, like we would, yeah, I would try and learn to record drums and figure out that. And I really just didn't know how to produce music very well. And then it's been a slow process of learning it. And it's been really great doing it in the context of this band, because now I know how to like, we know quickly how to make it sound like our band now, which is really fun. But there was a lot of trial and error Yeah, being like, I think this is how we should sound and then we'd listen back and be like, uh, it doesn't sound very good. You know, retry. And I feel like we'd, we'd get bogged down sometimes trying to like force something to work in the way that we imagined it. And it would become a, a thing that would just sort of like, like we'd get stuck just being like, why doesn't this work? We've got to make it work. And now I think we've gotten better at, at kind of like just letting it be and then maybe like, like examining it with some distance, not knowing that when you get like the, I guess kind of like the, like, like the, the sort of like state of mind when you're working on this stuff, I think we've learned to like curate that better, maybe. <laughs> Try and get as much done before your critical brain kicks in, because I think that it like inhibits the creative process. And I think I, I don't know if you did, but I used to do it a lot, you know, and it would be like maybe someone wrote one cool part in a song. So then, you know, you're fighting to keep that song alive, even though the rest of it is not very good. Whereas now we're just let's just finish this song and move on. And if it's not good, we can write a new song. And it's just, it's more fun, more productive, um, and I think a better way to go about it, because you can just, you know, spend countless hours fiddling over small details that don't matter and no one will ever hear and drive yourself mad. And yeah, learn, and learning, learning that some of them are just, like, not good and that's fine. Like, that was, that was, that was, like, a powerful realization, I think. <laughs> that, like, totally. I'm just like, 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 yeah, like, we're gonna finish it because we finish things. But, like, if it sucks, it sucks. And that's okay. Like, sometimes that's, they're, they're, like, you just, like, the key is to write more and throw some of them away. Because that's, uh, that's gonna be ultimately the better, the better choice than trying to fix something that isn't working. By so many great bands, like, you know, from the past, you're like, how do they have these treasure troves of all these demos and B-sides and 
things that never made it, you know? And it's like the probably same process of just constantly just, it's better to create more stuff than to try and perfect the few that you have. And way more fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. How far would you develop an idea before rejecting it? Do you have to complete it and then put it aside? Or do you know pretty early on that this isn't quite working? I think we complete most of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we got pretty militant about that. Like, we'll, we'll finish it. Like, even, even sometimes when we know it's not very good, like, I feel like we had a couple where it's like, we got two thirds of the way through and we were like, yeah, this is not it. But we, we still, we still got to the end of it just in case we were wrong, which has happened. But like, yeah, I think, like, I mean, I think for the, for the album, we ended up like the album's going to be 10 tracks, but we like wrote, arranged and demoed 21 or 22, something like that. And like, and it was for the best because if we put out the first ten, we did it wouldn't have been a very good album. <laughs> um, but it was like I think yeah, was, we learned that was kind of a necessary part of the process for us. I think that's interesting that 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 idea that you were talking about there, where we put out the first ten, it wouldn't have been as good an album. Where about do most of the good songs fall? Are they pretty evenly spaced out that twenty two, or is like a congregation of them at a certain point? I think they were pretty evenly spaced. I mean, I think yeah, they are. Yeah, there was some that were like that that made the record that were among the first that we did. The very last one we did made the record. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I think I think there were there's there were points in the writing process I think where because we were trying we were trying to be really disciplined and just like keep churning stuff out where I kind of ran out of ideas um, and then like needed to step back and, and think of some new ones. So there's like, there was maybe like a little bit of a dry spell somewhere in there. But for the most part, I think it was like, you know, it was it kind of like, it was a pretty regular clip of like one good one, one bad one, like alternating um, through the like nine months we spent writing it. When you say you ran out of ideas, do you mean ran out of ideas of things to talk about in your songwriting or kind of just got a little bit burnt out because you were writing too much or? Uh, I think a little bit of both. It, it would just get to a point where I felt like I was kind of repeating myself where either the song, it was like, oh, like this is just a worse version of that song. Or like, this is just like, like in terms of like musically, this is just a worse version of that song. Or like, oh, this is just like a, a, a like a, a more poorly expressed version of the sentiment I was trying to express on this other one which don't always line up. I mean, there was some that I think will probably come out at some point where like they really work. It was just like, or like, I think they work at least, but it's like they, we had stuff where it was just like, Oh, there's another song on the record that kind of already says this and it says it better. So it felt a little bit redundant to do them, to put them both on the record. But I think we'll probably eventually put those songs out. There's another, like probably like five or so that I think we were pretty positive about that didn't make the record. That's an AP. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you begin with the topic? You're saying that they're kind of about some of the things, but one just isn't quite as good. Uh, inter- I, it's a lot less deliberate than that normally. Like, like very occasionally, I'll, I'll be like, oh, like that's a thing that I want to write a song about, and then I'll do it. But for the most part, it's more that I just start kind of playing and trying to work on something, and then like, I find out what it's about as I when I'm like halfway through it. Were there any songs in this EP or a way to put out that came from that process of a desire to write about a certain topic? I I'm trying to think. I I don't know. I mean, like the title track was one where I thought of the title first, and then I was like, like I was like, that is like a good title for a song, <laughs> uh, and then I kind of like I kind of found out. Like I was like playing with it for a while 
and then I kind of found out what it was about once I once I was working on it a little bit. I'm trying to think if anything else was like was one where I kind of like was trying to was like I want to write a thing about that feeling. Was Anadonia like that? I don't think so. I, I that one was I wrote it so long ago, but I I think that one was way more of a thing where I just started going and then it made sense. I think. I'm struggling to remember <laughs> the process. I, cause I, like, I definitely, the thing that that song ended up being about was like a thing, was like a specific interaction that I thought about a lot in which I was being a dick. Um, uh, but I don't know if I was like, I want to write a song about that. It was more that I had like recognized it and it had been on my mind. And so I think it maybe just came out. How long after the interaction do you write the song? In that case, probably about a year. Wow. And it's on your mind quite a lot in that year. Yeah, I was thinking about it because it was like, it was just, I think I, I it, in some quote that has been published somewhere at some point, I think I said something about it. But like, it was, it was basically like, I was at a show with my friend and I was just like talking mad shit about the band we were seeing for no reason. And he turned to me and he was like, why do you even come to these shows? And he was just like, so... He was like so pissed off with me and so justifiably pissed off with me that it kind of made me like recognize a thing I was doing that I really didn't like uh, that I was doing and didn't like about myself. And so I kind of I thought about it a lot because I think I had become I had I had allowed this thing that I I cared about to stop being uh, like fun for me and stop being like joyful for me. And I and I and like that specific like him saying that to me and the way he said it, I was just like. Like, oh, no, you're like, you are totally exasperated by me and you are totally right to be. And I like need to think about that. And so I did. And that's like kind of where that came from, I think. Still a pretty brutal thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was right. He was totally right. I I, I was like, I, I, there was no, this band did not deserve uh, my derision. And I think it was important to recognize that, that it was not a, it was not a useful thing pattern that I had gotten into, I guess. Is there a parallel there between what you were feeling and what the people that you're writing about in Gleaming Spires are feeling? That kind of just weird hatred for no real reason. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, that's like a thing that I, I, I identify with. But I, I think it's like, you know, that's the sort of maybe one of the themes of that EP is sort of like the when your frustrations sort of overtake you in a way that makes it makes it hard for you to sort of see the forest from the trees. That one was written about your negative emotions towards a band. And Gleaming Spires is kind of written about people's negative emotions toward the city they're from, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like, I think in both cases, it's sort of like, it's a composite a little bit. Like, it's like, you know, I, I don't mean for them to be, like, prescriptive or, uh, like, didactic. It, it's, it's like a thing where it's like recognizing a thing in myself and then also recognizing it in others and sort of examining those two things like the, the, examining it from from those two perspectives it's like I, I don't think i think like anything anything that almost anything that i'm castigating people for uh in those songs i've almost certainly also done um, like that's like not not all of it maybe but a lot of it so is is the initial motivation and drive to write a song about something internal different to that which fuels you to write a song about something you see happening before you? Uh, I, I, I don't think it's, it's that clear to me. It's like a thing where I, you know, like I, I write them, they, they, they come out of things I was thinking about, but it's not a totally conscious process. And then I kind of figure out 
what I wanted to say about it once I've said what like in it, when it goes from sort of the first draft to the final version of the song like that's when I kind of hone down what I was trying to say but there isn't like a sort of motivation initially it's more just sort of stuff that was kind of on my mind I think that then I kind of I learn a bit more about what I think about it as as I'm writing it once you've worked out what you're trying to say will you go back and tweak things quite a lot so that the message is a oh, little, yeah. yeah 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 I mean I, like I, I think that's the thing that we do with kind of a lot of the elements of the songs musically as well but I I, I tend to I have a way of doing this that I kind of happened upon where I I tend to write the lyrics down in emails to myself and then reply to those emails with like tiny tiny edits um, and just like keep making those basically until the day we record the vocal. And sometimes they change after we record them too. All in the one email chain. Yeah, just an email to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you used to do something that with, with that as well, where people would email you topics to write about in one big chain? Uh, yeah. I don't know where that would have. Yeah, that was that was a thing that I used to do with my friends in college. And Evan does a thing like that now too with some folks in Toronto. Yeah. Where we we do, where we'd like I did it as a way to keep touch with guys, with some folks I grew up with who I used to like make music with in high school. But we would somebody would um would send a topic and then like a, you know a month later everyone would send back a song about that topic. And Evan Evan does one called Family Feast, right? Yeah, yeah. With uh, with a bunch of pals, um, from which there's uh, many excellent tunes have have emerged. It must be said. <laughs> which is that's just a great exercise for songwriting and production it's kind of the fun of it to take yourself out of like the context of a band and just you know anything you've ever felt like dabbling in you can just for that one song which is really fun liberating what do you do with that stuff you write for that Evan? yeah yeah it's like me and a bunch of friends we've maybe been doing it for 10 years and like someone will pick a theme like valentine's day or cover a canadian song and then yeah everyone has a month to kind of write and produce a song and then we throw them all together it's really fun you know wasn't there one where you where you guys did where you guys all covered songs on Metallica's <laughs> yeah. Monster? Oh, Saint Anger, right? Good. It was that we tried to make. Oh yes, yeah. Sorry, the documentary. Yes, yeah, is something else. Saint Anger, yeah. Version of that record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> there's a whole there's also a whole trove of of like of like these sort of like very like uh, slick like Euro synth pop songs that Evan's done for those that are that are pretty good. Uh, it's uh yeah like that's like that's how we'll figure out what the next record's gonna sound like just like mine mine the things <laughs> that i've done for family feast and see which style suits us do you have any other creative exercises like that for yourself that can just spark things in that way that you can put when you put into place when you're suffering from writer's block or struggling from ideas i'm not really i i think i found and i i will admit that after we finished the record i took a break so i've not been uh on my own schedule as much but i think just just uh just insisting on writing something like on like setting a schedule always doing it even if nothing good happens just always doing it tends to work where it's like you you kind of like i feel like sometimes you've got a bunch of bad ideas stuck in your head and the only way to get them out is to like try and make them work and then and then like the good ideas will be behind them or something um but uh yeah i find that like that like that just trying to stick to a schedule and, and try and like, you know, just try and like write something every week um, and not being scared of it being bad, I think is, is a really big part of it of just sort of like letting stuff not work. Um, because even when stuff doesn't work, you might learn something or there might be a part, a piece of it that can be used somewhere else later on, you know? Yeah. Do you learn different lessons from bad ideas to good ones? Like the lessons you take from each, are they quite different to each other? I don't know. I mean, 
like when you learn something worked, I think it's like cool because like we can we can keep it in our back pocket for later. But there's also a bit of a time limit on that. It's like we like if we if we just keep doing the good ideas every time, then the songs end up sounding too similar and we have to come up with new ideas. <laughs> um, the like this sort of equal and opposite as I guess we might expect the equal and opposite value to learning what to do and what not to do. Because a lot of the some of the things like I mean, some of the sillier things that we learned, like 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 learning like the appropriate pick weight to record to use when recording an acoustic guitar like that's good that's good knowledge that we'll use forever um but more kind of like compositional tricks i think it's like you don't want them to become crutches so it's this yeah it's like they, they they're only as useful as they're as as the the context in which they're being applied has there ever been a compositional trick that you once used that you've retired for good? No, I still feel like we use them, but we're both very conscious of like, yeah, not overusing things or if we've done it, not doing it again and trying not to like fall into cliches is a big thing for us. Trying to always be conscious of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're definitely aware. And like, especially when curating the record, you know, why we had so many songs and some didn't make it is because, yeah, it was just doing a similar thing. So we're always trying to find inspiration in other places and yeah, find little tricks like Anadonia is the same progression the whole way through, which was a nice little thing that Tom had done and we hadn't done that on another song. So there's always little things like that. We might listen to a song and send it to the other by another band and be like, oh, that's so cool. We should do a song that does, you know, that idea or, or try it in the context of our band. And I feel like on the record, especially there's like a bunch of stuff like that. There's a bunch of stuff from like a, a bunch of weird sources that we like, I mean, some stuff that we tried to incorporate that just didn't work, but then some stuff that kind of did like, there's definitely like a couple like little like arrangement and production things where it's just like, this is an idea from a Tom Petty song or like, this is an idea from a killer's song, but like, it's like, it's not going to sound like that in the context of our band. So it's cool if we try it and sometimes they work. Yeah. Is that quite liberating as well? You kind of realize you can bring anything in and it's going to take on a life of its yeah, own. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's like, that's what we've learned is to like, you know, the bands that we love from the past, they weren't sitting there and analyzing the other bands that sounded like them and trying to make things that sound exactly like it. You know, they were just writing songs and, you know, the tools that they had at the time make it sound a certain way. So it's kind of like thinking of it from that philosophy of like, just write songs and you know that you trust your tastes and know that that will dictate the final product. And you'll surprise yourself. Whereas if you're sitting down, like trying to specifically make it be a certain thing, um, you'll probably just write a pretty stock sounding generic version of the genre that you're emulating or the band that you're emulating, you know, and the world doesn't really need more of that if you've already got the other band stuff that you like. You mentioned something interesting there where you said, trust your taste. Is good taste almost a scale in and of itself? I don't know. I don't know what good taste is. I think you just want to write a song that you would like. Like my dream is just, you know, to write a song that moves someone in the same way my favorite songs have moved me. Yeah, I can't say that there's songs that I don't like uh, necessarily come from bad taste, just different taste. Yeah, it's like it's best. I feel like best not to put too much of a value judgment on it. And it's just like I feel like we've just found that we, we like we have a shared taste, and and we've learned how to kind of make things that we like and that sound like we want to sound. But yeah, I mean, it's like I don't know. This it's it like there's no. There's no there's no reason why that the, those things that we like are fundamentally you know, like better or more worthy than things that other people like or something. It's it just, I think it's like the, we've learned to trust our instincts with it because I think we've kind of like honed, honed the instincts that we share and the taste that we share. So we like really are pretty confident in it at this point. Like we know, we know what we like. I read you once said 
as well, Tom, that for some reason being described as a musician has always made you quite uncomfortable. Have you managed to figure out why that is? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it, I, I think I, it just feels, I don't, it feels like a, a role, it feels so freighted with a certain kind of, uh, like, self-importance, I guess, which is no criticism of people who do choose to describe themselves that way. I just, this is, like, a thing that I like to do and a thing that interests me. Like, I don't feel any desire to be, like, perceived in that, like, as that being, like, the totality of, as, like, an identity, I guess. Like, it's, like, it's just a, it's just a thing I like doing with my friend Evan. <laughs> like, um, and, and, like, and that's, and it's, if other, and if people like it, that's, like, amazing, and it's really exciting um, that people have, but, yeah, like, I, I don't, I, it, I don't want to, I don't, yeah, I, don't I just don't, I don't want to put that, I don't want to put too much, too much weight on it as like, as, as a way that I identify myself, I guess. You don't want it to consume your identity. Yeah, or, yeah, or, or just like, yeah, in the way that I think of myself, it just doesn't feel like a, I, I, I don't know, it, it, I think there's like, there's a whole broader thought on this in that, like, I find like the sort of like, the whole like cult of the artist mentality really weird and I don't like it. And I think, I think that there's like a kind of like, like I, I think the the idea of sort of like somebody who makes art is, is it's often sort of like I don't know presented in in like kind of like I don't know like our culture writ large in a way that I don't necessarily think is like healthy or good <laughs> like where it's it's just like like I don't think like you know it's any more noble to like make jangly pop music than it is to like I don't know like like do any job like if you like doing it, it like I don't, I don't it's it's not i don't think it's like i don't think it's special really i guess like and i think that there's a sort of like a process of like separating that where it's like you know like like it's a thing that like we like pursue as an interest that gives us like satisfaction and is exciting to make and there are people that we like admire that have done it and that's all fair, but it's like knitting for yourself is also cool. I, like stuff like that. it's not. I don't think it. It feels like a thing where it's like it's trying to elevate in some way, and I and I that makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't think it needs to be that way, and I don't think it should be. Yeah, almost if you were to call yourself a musician, it would feel a little bit like you were doing it for someone else, maybe. Yeah, maybe that it's like kind of performative or a performative identity. I I don't know. I it's. I'm I'm struggling to express this because I don't want it to seem like pejorative or that I'm I am putting this on like other people who, you know, sort of choose to, who do think about themselves in that way. That's, that's totally fair. Um, I just find it makes me a little, a little uncomfortable, like I say. How, I'm intrigued by this kind of rabbit hole we've gone down in terms of the role music plays in your identity and how you kind of view it in the context of that. How big a role would you say that music has played in shaping your identity as a person? And creating music. Pretty big one, especially when I was younger, you know, like songs were like an escape and then you would, you know, find artists that you like and then read about their stories and learn about different ways people live in the world. Um, so it was a great thing, especially when I was younger. Um, it definitely helped shape my identity, you know, just like hearing these stories of other musicians and going, oh, you can do that, you know, you can go and play shows. Like, I, yeah, I can remember a time where that just felt like, just to play one show felt like the most surreal experience that I'd never be able to do. And kind of having that become a goal was like a really exciting thing and has shaped my identity. You know, it's like kind of interesting. I'm now back in Australia 
and it's where I grew up. And it's interesting, I kind of notice now how much I've changed being here and interacting with the people from my past. And yeah, and definitely music has directed that in a lot of ways because it's what I love doing with my free time. So, you know, the people I've been around and whatnot in the last little bit are all pretty music centric. And that's what, yeah, I guess has shaped my identity. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.